It's Wednesday, October 8th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today, the one and only Morgan Housel. Thanks for being here. How you doing? I'm doing okay. How are you doing? I'm all right. Hanging in there. I got coffee. As long as I got coffee, I'm good. Life's good. I'm good. <laughs> good. What else do you need? Uh, I need earnings season to kick off, and fortunately, it will after the market closes today when Alcoa, God bless Alcoa, Always first up. No longer uh, in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, but they still get the t- sort of honorary title of first kid in line. Yeah, first kid in line. We get to kick off earnings season, so we'll we'll do a little earnings season preview. But let's start with uh, something that we don't really talk about all that much, and that is the dollar. Um, this is a we focus on stocks. We don't focus on currencies, and yet. In preparation for today's podcast, I, I learned of the existence of something called the U.S. Dollar Index, right. which simply tracks the currency against other currencies in the world. Uh, here's a little tidbit that uh, in the third quarter, the U- I, I knew that the dollar was getting stronger, uh, in part because there's just more coverage of it, and, and we'll get to the ripple effects in a second. I didn't realize that in, in the third quarter, uh, the U.S. dollar uh, rose nearly eight percent, right. and if you back out the third quarter of two thousand eight, when basically the investing world was going to hell, and the dollar was seen as this safe haven, if you just back out that quarter, this is the the, the biggest rise in a quarter in more than twenty years. Right. Great that I'm paying a little bit less at the gas pump. Great that oil prices are going down. That sort of thing, but. I can't imagine everybody's happy about this. Well, first let me say, you know, we we talk about companies and we're business investors, but when we're talking about the dollar, that's really important for that too. Half of revenues in the S&P 500 come from foreign currencies. Half of them. So when the dollar strengthens, that has a big impact on a lot of the businesses that we invest in. And a lot of really big famous companies, Microsoft and Cisco and ExxonMobil, those companies do a majority of their business in foreign currencies. So these big dollar moves, it's not just for currency traders that might be interested in this. Pretty much all people who are investing in big companies. This is an important thing for them. And I think it's really interesting that especially around 2005, 6, 7, the drumbeat of the dollar losing value, the dollar is going to tank, that just became so loud and it became so, it was such a big topic back then. And it kind of faded away. And now not only has it faded away, but the exact opposite has occurred. So you see, oil prices are at the lowest level they've been in a long time. Gold prices are down 40 some odd percent in the last three years. Uh, and the dollar is the strongest it's been in years. And I think virtually no one predicted that years ago. But it's the reality we're facing today, and it has a big impact on multinational companies, large cap companies like you know, Johnson and Johnson and ExxonMobil and Intel and Cisco and these companies that do so much business overseas. Because for years, a lot of investors wanted to own these companies to hedge against a falling dollar. They wanted to own shares of companies that did business in Europe and Asia and Africa and whatnot, so that when the dollar fell, they could maintain their purchasing power. And it's the exact other way around right now. It's these big multinationals that, with a surging dollar, that starts crimping their business and hurting their profits going forward. So I think, like a lot of these things in the economy, uh, I, I begin to sound like a broken record, but it's like whatever the topic is that everyone is sure is going to happen, <laughs> it's it's the polar opposite is actually going to happen. So. so as we kick off earnings season, should we go into this expecting that we're going to hear, particularly from companies that are in that multinational category, should we just expect right now that we're going to hear a lot of 
blaming the strong. It's like, well, the weakness in the quarter part of that was the strong dollar. I always, you know, when we're talking about quarterly earnings, there's not a lot that can go on in 90 days that can really change my opinion about a business. Companies might say, you know, margins declined or sales were a little soft, but we're talking 90 days. Who cares? But I think what has happened in the last 90 days, or the last you know four or five months, that is significant. Is this move in the dollar, and that's going to have a big impact on a lot of companies. And I think, yeah, you will see companies blaming it uh, on the dollar. Uh, most of the big companies that do a lot of overseas business uh, hedge their foreign currency exposure to a certain extent. So it's not a one-for-one one hit to the earnings, but it's going to be a big hit. And I think it's really going to change the tone from the recent years when a lot of investors wanted to own multinational companies to gain that hedge to where now people might want to be owning companies that do the majority of their business in the United States that might have the edge going forward. So for this quarter, strong dollar is the new Polar vortex. You know, it's it's funny. It's one of those things too with the dollar. It's the same with oil prices. That no matter which direction it's going, people are going to complain about it. When the dollar's falling, that's bad news. When the dollar's rising, that's bad news. Oil prices, no matter what they're doing, it's bad for the economy. That's I, I I've come I've come to realize that if oil prices are rising, that's bad for consumers. If oil prices are falling, that's a sign that the that the economy is weakening. It's like no matter what oil's doing, someone out there is going to be upset about it. Well, let's stick with oil for a second because you uh, pointed out a story to me the, uh, in the New York Times that for the first time in nearly 40 years, the U.S. is ex- exporting oil to a country outside of North America. Yeah. Is this a big deal? Is this a little deal? You got some people looking at this saying this is raising the curtain on a new era of energy production in America. I think it's a big deal just like for the dollar because five or seven years ago it was the exact opposite. Back then, 2007, it was peak oil, running out of oil. We were building these import stations along the golf course to start importing natural gas in from, from the Middle East and whatnot. And then it, so it's like someone flipped a switch in 2010, 2011, and now we have more oil than we know what to do with in the United States. So we're exporting it now for the first time in 40 years. We've always been exporting finished oil products like diesel and gasoline. Uh, but crude oil, this is another thing in, nor- in North America. So we're shipping it to uh, South Korea. South Korea, was yeah. in the New York Times. So, yeah, this is a huge deal because that was one of the main. Uh, tipping points for the economy over the last decade was rising energy prices that was crimping consumer spending and hurting businesses. And you know, really in the 2008 recession, it was a financial crisis caused by too much debt and whatnot, but it was really, I think, the, the gasoline shock of the summer of 2008 when gas went to $4 a gallon that really tipped people over the edge, that really set the, the downward spiral in motion. And right now, the cost of gasoline is significantly cheaper than it was seven years ago. No one would have predicted that seven years ago, but that's what we're facing today. And you know, there's 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 always a question with the shale boom in the United States of how sustainable is it. You know, I always get get suspicious when people just take like the last two years and extrapolate them into (laughs) infinity and say, you know, we're just going to have this massive oil boom from now until the end of time. That's not how these things work. It's a boom and bust cycle. But there's no doubt that the shale revolution in the United States has surpassed. It's safe to say everyone's expectations from three years ago. Virtually no one saw this coming. And if you five years ago said that we would be exporting crude oil in 2014, people would have said, you're crazy. Wouldn't it be great if there was, for each industry, and in this case, oil, there was 
a leading expert who was that industry's equivalent of Robert Schiller. I saw Robert Schiller on TV last week. He was on CNBC because uh, the latest uh, housing data was coming out from the Case Schiller Index. By the way, how, there can't be many things sweeter in life than you're on TV and the Chiron underneath you says Nobel laureate. No, that's, that's as titles go. You that's, just you can you can just turn it off. That's one of Although, the best. You know, I have a story about that though. We've, <laughs> we we've interviewed Daniel Kahneman a couple times here. Uh, he won the Nobel Prize. The last time we talked to him, he was recently awarded. I hope I'm getting this right. The President's Award from the National Scientific Academy, something like that. I'll look it up when we're done. I okay. should have looked this up beforehand. Kahneman said that that was a bigger deal than the Nobel Prize to him. And we really? Joked, and we joked. We told him, oh, yeah, everyone's got a Nobel these days anyways. <laughs> who cares? But he thought that was a bigger deal than the Nobel Prize. My, my interpretation from how he put it was that the Nobel Prize is sort of uh, the press gets really excited about it. But in, t- in scientific circles, in science circles... These awards from the National Academy of Sciences are a big deal. I can see that in scientific circles. I, I that that makes sense to me. Yeah. But, I, but I I think for most of the other circles that the award is given out, it's it's Nobel Prize. Come on, it's it's the top thing. Right. But Schiller, to get back to Schiller, the great thing about Robert Schiller, one of the great things is that he's not one of those people who says, "Well, this is what the recent data says, therefore X." He's Perfectly comfortable to say, well, yeah, this is what it says right now, but I I don't know. I mean, you know, things change. Um, So it would be nice if if there were more Schillers out there in the world. Uh, Ron Gross mentioned something the other day to me about um, small cap stocks, about the Russell 2000. He pointed out, um, and I knew directionally the Russell 2000 index, which is, for those who don't know, an index of small cap stocks. Um, I, I, I knew that directionally it was not performing as well as the S and P 500. I didn't realize <laughs> that it was somewhere. Yeah, it's it's in, falling out of bed this it, year. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 12 percent lower year to date. Yeah. What is going on with small cap stocks? Well, for, I'd say you know a lot of the, Motley Fool Warren. We talk about individual businesses, but if you just look at these things in a group, yeah, small caps have had a terrible, terrible year. And we we also don't try to ascribe meaning to what. You know, stocks are down over the last couple of months. What does that mean? Well, who knows? This is just what stocks do a couple of times sometimes. But uh, you know, small caps have had a massive run over the last five years and the last fifteen years. Uh, you know, since two thousand, the Russell two thousand index since the year two thousand uh, is up about one hundred and ninety percent versus about seventy five percent for the S and P five hundred. There's a really huge gap between what you've been able to earn in small caps versus larger companies. And I think you know sometimes you know, after booms come busts, and maybe that's what we're seeing with small caps. I, I wrote a column for the Wall Street Journal that'll be out this Friday. I said right now the we're going to sneak this preview sat- this Saturday. I should say I'll give you a little sneak preview. Nice. Some? We're scooping the journal. That's, I love this. That's right. So you know basically basically any time that the Russell 2000 has been at current valuations, it's declined over the following year. Uh, so you know. You can take those valuation metrics for for what they are, but there's no doubt that for all stocks, uh, whether they're large cap stocks or small caps, all businesses, there's, we've had a tremendous run over the last five years, and things move in cycles. And I think it's really easy for investors to just extrapolate the past and get excited about the recent gains and say, oh, "I love being an investor. This is how you make money." But these things these things turn around sometimes. So we've started to see that for small cap stocks. I think also. When you have the type of bull market that we've had over the last few years, expectations 
whether we realize it or not, start to rise along with the market. And so, small caps in particular, uh, I think it's natural for investors to maybe get a little impatient, particularly if we're talking about a small cap stock that is not showing shoot to the moon rocket level growth, right. along with the fact that they're not profitable. I think when you have the type of bull run that we've had, it's easy to stop and look at small cap stocks and say, well, wait a minute, where's the money? Where- what am I paying for here? <laughs> exactly. Um, as I mentioned, Alcoa reports after the market uh, closes today. Is there anything in particular you're looking for this earnings season? I had mentioned the other day that uh, I'm curious about retail in particular, not not so much the the results. I'm I'm already thinking about the holiday season. I'm curious to what extent retailers are going to start tipping their hand on what they're expecting, and certainly what we've seen in the last forty eight hours from the likes of the Container Store and SodaStream right. tells me that I, I think if I want to shop uh, at the Container Store or I'm interested in getting one of those SodaStream devices. I'm probably going to see a lot of uh, items on sale over the next few months. Right. That's just a guess. Right. No, yeah. <laughs> but what are you watching? You no, know, I think I'm always interested in things like retail sales because it's really easy to look at the economy as as a unified body and say GDP grew 2% and jobs are coming back every month and the economy is growing, but there's always more uh, there, there are always smaller stories within that. There's been so such a wide gap in 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 growth inequalities of this recovery over the last five or six years. There was a chart recently; is one of the most fascinating charts I've ever seen. That showed that since 2009, when the recession ended, 110 percent more than all of the economic growth has gone to 10 percent of the U.S. population. The other 90 percent became poor. That's why. The ten percent gain more than a hundred percent. There's just a huge chasm between you know the whole economy is doing well, but m- the vast majority of people, ninety percent of the population, is worse off than they were five years ago. So when you look at things like retail sales, I think that that gives a more granular view about how things are really doing out there. How are Walmart sales? How are Costco sales? How are Best Buy sales? I think that gives you a much clearer picture than the aggregate data that people like me tend to look at foolishly. And that. You just reminded me of something. Um, John Lanchester, who's uh, an author who was the guest on last week's radio show, that was one of the things he was talking about was that when you're looking at countries and sort of individual countries' economies over the last however many years, um, the disparity between countries um, has lessened in terms of you know the the rich and the poor. But within countries, we're seeing a greater off the charts. widening of the gap. Yeah. Um, I guess we're just going to end on that down note. That's we'll we'll try to do better some other time. We'll try. We'll, 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 the, the, the next time we'll end with kittens and rainbows. As they say, I'm pardon the interruption. We'll try and do better next time. Thanks for being here, man. <laughs> Thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks they talk about, and the monthly pool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by very sad Washington Nationals fan who's already looking forward to next season, Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow.